Thank you for joining us for DER Weekends. Unlike the Detroit Evening Report during the week, where we focus on the news of the day, on the weekend, we like to spend some time getting to know the people and places that make Detroit special. And today, Jerome Vaughn is joining us. Welcome, Jerome. Glad to be with you, as always. And listeners, of course, will be familiar with you from holding down the Tuesday Detroit Evening Reports. And I know we've learned a little bit about you before, but what else? Let's give us some Jerome Vaughn trivia. What should we know about Jerome Vaughn that we don't know? Well, um, the two things that are really big for me, um, one, uh, I love Detroit. I think it's the best place on the face of the earth. Um, and I, you know, I've lived a couple of other places for a little short period of time, but born and raised here, uh, and, uh, have spent most of my life here in town and, uh, just think it's, it's the best place. Um, the other thing I think that is quintessentially, uh, Jerome is, uh, is my family. I've got eight kids and uh, have made a point of uh, raising them all here in the city of Detroit. And uh, no, I'm not crazy. I, I love I love having the eight kids. I love how you love having the eight kids. I get to watch you tell people that <laughs> often. And I love um, both how much you love people's reaction to that. Um, but I also, I am close enough to you to know how much you do love having this incredibly large family. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think a lot of people, when I say that, think I'm I'm a little touched in the head, uh, and maybe I am, but uh, it's been great. The house has never felt crowded, and um, it's just been a, a great blessing to have all these kids. Yeah. Well, and you're an only child, right? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the generations kind of go back and forth that way, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm an only child. I mean, I can see how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, my mom will tell a story. One day she came home. She was a teacher in Detroit Public Schools. And uh, one day she came home and I had the phone book out and I'm looking through the yellow pages what am I looking through the yellow pages for? Adoption agencies, because I wanted, I wanted a, I wanted a little brother. So uh, anyway, I uh, I didn't get a little brother, uh, but uh, I I do have a lot of children. So <laughs> compensation. Um, so you represented WDET at the Mackinac Policy Conference as a reporter. You reported on the Mackinac Policy Conference this year. And you brought back some stories that you wanted to share with DER listeners. Tell us about the story you're bringing today. Well, I had an interview with uh, Kenneth Kelly. He's the uh, chairman and uh, chief executive officer of First Independence Bank. It is a black-owned bank here in Detroit. It's starting to spread out to some other places around the country. Um, it was really it was formed back in 1970 uh, here in Detroit as a way to 
uh, get black residents uh, access to capital for their businesses, uh, access to mortgages for homes, uh, and other things like that, because um, there was an understanding that in the wake of the 1967 rebellion, that it was really difficult for black Detroiters to get those things from conventional banks. And so a number of people came together to form First Independence Bank. Um, It's still going on. The branch that that I know of is right there uh, at uh, on Seven Mile, just a little west of Livernois. And uh, Mr. Kelly was on the island, and so we talked a bit about um, banking, the importance of a black-owned bank in a city of light in a city like Detroit, and why certain Detroiters don't have banks, as he says they are unbanked. And so those are some of the things that we talked about in this conversation. Hmm. Okay, well, let's listen. Well, you can't get to 2023 without going back to that beginning, and it began in 1970. It was one of the positive outcomes of the 1967 riots. There were 22 individuals who got together and said African-Americans need their own financial institution because they were dealing with issues like redlining and buying homes, etc. And so that was the birth of First Independence in 1970. So we've been in business now for 53 years. Uh, When you ask about what does it mean today, it's still a symbol as a beacon of hope to our community. It doesn't mean that we are black only. I tell people the best way to sum it up, we are black owned, but not black only. Uh, We need to have customers from all walks of life who have a mission aligned just like ours, being sure that we're creating opportunities for individuals in less fortunate communities to have access to capital. So when you take that mission, I think that mission probably threads through a lot of institutions. It just so happens that we definitely have a higher level of an affinity for African-Americans. With larger banks like Chase or Bank of America, how do you cut out your segment of the pie to, to stay vibrant and viable? Well, I would tell you, my philosophy has been about partnerships and collab- collaboration. And so in each of those names that you just mentioned, in fact, I can go ahead and tell you publicly because this is public information, the top six banks in this country are investors in our institution. And so there is a mutual destiny associated with what we're trying to do along with aligning with what they are doing. There are some aspects of the market that we target that's very different than theirs. But the reality is when you think about capital in this country, in a capitalistic society, uh, money is oxygen. And our goal should be not to be exclusive to try to beat out a competitor. It should be to partner with much stronger competitors to be able to get more of that oxygen to places where it's needed. How difficult is that to do? Oh, very. I don't even have to think about that one. That's an unconscious competence response you just heard. And uh, that's that's the challenge. So let's look at the banking system. There are right at 4,700 banks now in the country. Uh, There are less than 20 that are African-American owned and controlled. So when you look at the, I would say, downward trend in number of banks, we're losing about 3% per year because of mergers and the need to scale. 
And some of that is competition that is quasi-banking related, but that's not banks. And so I would tell you, unless we partner with larger institutions, uh, we're not going to be successful um, trying to really apply and get capital into the areas that we care about. So let me uh, flip it around. Uh, I live in Detroit. We're broadcasting in Detroit. What is it that Detroiters should look to you for? Well, one should be uh, the same level of opportunity that all of us deserve when it comes to having access to capital. Now, to be very blunt, to be bankable, when I say being bankable, that means if you're wanting to secure a loan, you have to have some form of collateral. That's just the way the banking system works. And so as you think about whether that is capital to start a new business or capital to buy a house, um, there are other programs that we have in place, down payment programs, where we can help provide assistance or connect you with assistance on that. But we believe fundamentally all families, all families, and specifically African-American families, need to look at opportunities to increase their own wealth by buying a home first. Um, secondly, and sometimes looking at the opportunity to start a business and or to help contribute to the starting of a business. Because in a capitalist society, as I shared, money is wealth and money is the oxygen. And so unless we have access to that oxygen, you see neighborhoods with boarded up windows. You see blight. You see all of those things that are symbols of the lack of oxygen in those communities. And I think we both can agree there are places in Detroit where you can go and see that there is plenty of oxygen when the flowers are blooming and they're being replanted and replaced two and three times a year. But the point I'm trying to make is all of the ability to be able to supply the needs of your family, food, clothing, sheltering, sheltering um, college education or trade school, if that's your desire, comes along with having some form of access to capital. How do you get to be larger? How much larger do you want to be in an urban area like Detroit? Well, again, going back to the banking system, as I shared, there's been um, the loss of about 3% of the banks per year. And part of that is the operating cost to run an institution, to um, manage your regulatory, to manage compliance, to deal with things like cybersecurity is becoming more expensive. And so one way to mitigate that and that doesn't matter if you're a trillion-dollar bank or a $100 million bank. It's to look at growing. And so we have had an effort in place over the last few years to look at growing, uh, predominantly even out of our market. And so last year, we were able to open in Minneapolis. Uh, we went there under the invitation of five institutions, which is probably unprecedented in this country. After George Floyd's murder, I can say those five institutions had leaders who had you know, the fortitude to say we ought to do something different. And so I was actually asked to come in and to be a part of that discussion with them. And we all agreed that having an institution in that market that was African-American owned uh, would matter. It would be a symbol. It would be a beacon of hope. That was Jerome Vaughn talking to Kenneth Kelly, chairman and CEO of First Independence Bank, a black bank founded in Detroit. That's a really interesting history. 
Uh, it, it really is. Uh, and it shows really the depth of the reverberations from the 1967 rebellion. Um, but it also so, uh, shows the commitment of the black community here in Detroit uh, in the few years after that. Um, to really uh, work to be more self-sufficient, um, to really work to not be um, just subject to the whims of other uh, financial uh, financial entities, other banks that that were redlining, that were making it hard um, for Detroiters to get uh, loans for their businesses or um, to get mortgages, and that's. You know, that's a thread that continues through to this day uh, in, you know, a a large uh, percentage of uh, uh, African-Americans around the country, you know, don't use banks, you know, have uh, concerns about banks or fears about banks. Uh, And in many cases, and, and I had another, you know, part of this conversation with Mr. Kelly, you know, in effect, that's costing um, black Detroiters more money if they're going to check cashing agencies, um, if they are um, going to a party store to pay DTE energy. There are costs and fees there that uh, if you have a bank, you can you can mitigate. It's interesting, too, because I think. Often when we talk about people making decisions like that, decisions to, you know, go to the liquor store to cash a check or to get payday loans and things like that, there's often this discussion about people not knowing how much they lose in those processes. And that may be true to some extent, but there's also, I think, just a lack of faith in the system and their ability to function in these institutions that they are told or believe are for other people. I I think that's exactly right. Um, I think uh, folks know that there's not going to be a lot of grace uh, if if something goes slightly wrong. Um, I think folks know that, um, you know, banks are out to make money as well. Uh, and if folks aren't paying attention, they can also, uh, you know, pay fees and other things through banks. But I think you're right. It's about knowing um, that there is a system there that is cheaper um, than, you know, a payday loan place, um, you know, that you can get paid to have your money in the bank. It's called interest. Uh, and, and so there are, you know, things like that that I know Mr. Kelly and, and other um, bankers uh, I talked to up on Mackinac Island are, are working to do that, working to educate Detroiters about what banks can do for them and to build back some trust. I know that is an issue as well. I had a conversation with uh, someone from a different bank. I won't name which one. Just about, uh, you know, fees that uh, to have a checking account at Bank X, we'll call it, uh, used to be free if you did, you know, a few different things. And overnight, it went from free to a fee of $12 a month, uh, which is a lot of money for some people. 
um, with with no advance notice. And so um, for that banker, you know, to say, you know, that's not something that engenders trust. That is a this was a, you know, national bank, you know, that that standard was set up for people across the country, but doesn't really address the unique um, issues that Detroiters deal with or um, that African-Americans in other cities deal with. And, you know, the bank is seemingly unaware of that. And the person I talk to is going to, um, you know, address that, you know, take it, take it up the ladder because that, that's a reason right there. I, I wouldn't want a bank at somewhere that went from free checking to $12 a month overnight with no notice. Yeah. I also, I really appreciated your question about growth and his answer. With black institutions and institutions of color, there's often this anxiety about their viability, their ability to stay around for as long as First Independence Bank has been around. Um, And so to be able to point to growth and expanding into other places, it really does support the idea that this is a viable institution that can be trusted. And I'm certainly not saying that that lack of trust is legitimate, but it is definitely a part of our culture, both within communities of color and at the larger community looking at institutions of color. There's this sense that they may not be as trusted, as as respected, as supported, as viable, and I have to say, laying all the things on the table, as smart. Well, well one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to talk to him in the first place was, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, passed by that, that branch on Seven Mile for, for decades um, and I thought, all right, here, here's this black owned bank in Detroit, been around for more than 50 years. And, um, it's, it's not something that you generally, uh, hear about, you know, right. There's not a lot of advertising. You don't see, you know, ads on TV about them. Um, at, at least, you know, in, in my, uh, sphere, I'm not getting, ads in the mail, come and get a free toaster at First Independence Bank. Um, and so for them to have carved out a space um, and and survive was really interesting to me. And, you know, as we had the conversation, him talking about, you know, getting asked to come uh, into Minneapolis uh, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, um, you know, that was something that was really striking to me. And I think the other issue is, and I think this gets to what you say, you know, for a lot of businesses, if you don't grow, that means you're shrinking and dying, right? And uh, to be able to grow for 50 years, to be able to be a presence in the community for, for more than 50 years, um, that says something about that business, uh, about its viability, and in, you know, talking to him, uh, you know, just about um, what's the right word, his his experience, uh, his knowledge in the banking industry was was very um, impressive. And you have to be um, to 
to run a bank and, and keep it running for decades. Well, thank you for bringing us this really important conversation. It's so important right now as interest rates are going up and we're feeling, I think many of us, very cash-strapped out in the world. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. I, I mean, I think that, you know, that's a constant part of um, the thought in, in the, the banking world um, is how to continue to make money, whether there's an economic upturn or economic downturn. Uh, and um, I think First Independence uh, and and other local banks, they, they've got to balance that, right? You know, you, as a bank, you have to make a profit, otherwise you go out of business. But how do you do that without um, being extractive of the community? How do you do that without preying on the community? And that's the whole reason uh, First Independence was founded in the first place. Well, I appreciate your reporting from the Mackinac Policy Conference and this interview you brought us with Kenneth Kelly from First Independence Bank. Thank you for joining us, Jerome Vaughn. Glad to be with you, and uh, I'm here all the time. (laughs) And thank you for joining us, dear listener, for the Detroit Evening Report Weekends, where we spend some time with the people and places that make Detroit special. If you know of anything or anyone we should know about, drop us a line at DetroitEveningReport at WDET.org. Thanks so much. We'll see you Monday. 